as Sandy had mentioned, my name is Brian. I am also one of the pastors here at Crossview Rosa Parks, and we are married. We love doing life together as well as ministry together. And I thought this week I would ask how many of you ever struggle to finish things, tasks, projects, you know, those sorts of, yeah, mm mm-hmm. Okay, a few of us, a few less than those. Last week I asked how many people get discouraged. That was universal. Some of you maybe are really good at finishing things. I have discovered recently that I am not so great at finishing the laundry. I do get it into, I get it started. But that last little bit just seems to be so elusive. It just sits in the basket haunting me, asking me to fold it and put it away. And sadly, in my mind, there are just so many other things that are more important than folding and finishing the laundry. So it doesn't seem to get done. Are there tasks that you struggle to finish? Things that maybe you feel like, oh man, I just never get around to doing that. That just never seems to get, you know, high enough on the priority list to actually finish. Maybe it's the home remodel project. Maybe it's cleaning. Cleaning the garage, anybody? Or kids, do you struggle to clean your rooms? Yeah? Parents, maybe? Little elbows next door. This is a no-nudge thing. Uh, Maybe it's schoolwork. You just, you know... So many other things that are more fun than doing your schoolwork, homework, etc. Well, despite our best intentions, I actually don't know anybody who finishes absolutely everything that they start it. Uh, There are some people who are better than others, but uh, sometimes we don't finish things for good reason. Like, for example, you start reading a book and you're like, this is horrible, and you just give up on it. Or a movie, right? You start the movie and you're like, no, this is a horrible movie. Find a different one. Uh, So there are good reasons, certainly, that we don't want to finish things. Uh, But there are so many things in life that we do want to finish, things that we think are important, or maybe things that other people in our lives think are important, you know, our friends or our family, or maybe even God. They have these things that they want us to do and to finish, and, oh, man, we just struggle to finish them. There are all sorts of barriers. Maybe the task is too difficult, and you get hung up in the fact that it's just too challenging, or maybe it's just a lack of progress. You know, it just, it's taking too long and you just sort of get bored and you're like, all right, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Um, sometimes I think it's because the task is uncomfortable. And I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us, myself included, I like my comfort. So I don't finish the task. Whatever the reason is, I do believe that most of the time we want to fin- finish well. We want to finish those tasks. We want to make our employer, our spouse, our parent, or ourselves proud of the things that we're doing. In today's story, uh, Elijah, the prophet, is struggling to finish what God has invited him to do. So if you want to open up your mobile communication device, or it also doubles as a mobile Bible device, uh, you can do that. Uh, They also have it up on the screen here. Uh, you can follow along. We're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. This is part of our wisdom series. And we've said that wisdom is making good choices. And so we're going to take a look at some of the choices that Elijah made and the circumstances that he faced in the midst of those challenges and what 
sorts of decisions he made and how that turned out for him and how eventually he did finish well. So I'm going to start reading in verse number eight. So it says, he, Elijah, got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So let's pause here and remind ourselves a little bit about this story. Maybe you were here last week and you heard part of the story. Maybe you weren't. So let's catch everybody up. The first part of the story of Elijah was so discouraging. He was so distraught. He literally wanted to die. He asked God if he would take his life. You see, last week as we talked about, Elijah had done these amazing things on Mount Carmel. He had called down fire on an altar and it had consumed the entire thing, including the water, and everybody had stopped and praised God. But Ahab, the king of Israel, and his wife Jezebel did not turn to the Lord. And in verse 2, we find out that Jezebel is threatening Elijah's life. And Elijah is so scared, he runs away. He runs all the way to southern Israel. Now, if you remember last week, there's northern Israel, there's southern Israel. King Ahab is the king of northern Israel, and Elijah was speaking to the people in northern Israel. He ran away to the southern kingdom thinking, I'm going to get away from this. There's no way that I'm going to get into trouble now. And in fact, he runs away from everybody, including his servant. He leaves a servant behind, and he ends up saying, I just want to die. This is it. And the Lord has compassion on him and sends an angel to touch him and wake him up and provide some food, provide some water, not once but twice. And now that we see this, that he's eaten this food, he has enough strength to travel down to Horeb, uh, known as the mountain of God in this passage. This is where Moses and the Israelites met God when they were escaping Egypt. So the Israelites, if you don't know, uh, were enslaved to the Egyptians, and God provided a way out for them. They crossed the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, one of those famous stories, and eventually they got to Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, as it's called in this passage, and they met God. And Moses got a word from the Lord that he wrote down in the Ten Commandments that we know. And this, for Israel, was a, a holy place. This was a place where God dwelled, where you could meet God. So I wonder if that's not why Elijah here, feeling distraught, feeling like he wants to die, runs to this place, thinking that he can meet God. And sure enough, sure enough he does. God says, what are you doing here? He meets him there. And what's interesting about this is that God may have provided some food and water for Elijah, but this was not the destination that God had in mind for Elijah. We find out the actual destination down in verse 15. See, Elijah was stuck. He was complaining. He wasn't completing the task that God had given him. And he was stuck. And part of the way that we know that he was stuck is that it says it took him 40 days to travel down to the Mount Horeb. Yes. 
And Deuteronomy says that in the first chapter that it should take about 11 days to get from where Elijah was to Mount Horeb. So what's, why the discrepancy? 11 days, 40 days? Well, an ancient reader of Scripture would have been clued into something because 40 was a number that was familiar. Maybe you're familiar with 40 if you've studied Scripture. There's this whole story of the flood narrative and how many days and nights did it rain? 40 days and nights, exactly. And then there's this whole story of after Israel got these Ten Commandments from the Lord, they were supposed to travel up to where Elijah was, and it's supposed to take 11 days. And how many days did it take them? Well, actually, it took them 40 years to get there. They wandered around the desert for 40 years. And then even in the New Testament, uh, we see Jesus in the desert, and he is there for 40 days. And so this 40 is a significant number in Scripture, and it symbolizes testing and trials, an eventual overcoming. So Elijah was experiencing a major test, a trial. And I think it shows up in his response in verse 10. He replies to the question, Where are, what are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You hear this. He's complaining. But here's what's interesting. Elijah says that Israel wasn't following the covenant, but back in chapter 18, when Elijah called down fire on the, on the altar and it consumed the bull and the water and everything, the response that the people had, they bowed down and they worshiped God. And then it says that the altars were torn down, but literally we know that Elijah had just built an altar to God. And then Elijah says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet remaining. But back in chapter 18, we also find out that Obadiah had saved some of the prophets. So the reality is that Elijah is so discouraged that he either can't see reality, or if he does see the reality, he can't interpret it correctly. Because all these things that he's saying, all these things that he's complaining about, the exact opposite is actually true. And I wonder how often we get so discouraged when we're working on a task, when we're trying to do what God wants us to do. We get so discouraged with life, whatever it is, that we can't see life correctly. We either can't see it ourselves, or if we do see the reality, we somehow can't interpret it correctly. And this happens in our spiritual world. God invites us to spend time with him, to get to know him, to love him, and to learn more about him. And maybe you've tried to read your Bible, but you run into sections in the Bible that just don't make sense to you. You're confused, and you struggle to see how it connects with your life, and eventually like, ah, this isn't really worth my time. And you give up reading the Bible or praying. 
God also invites us to share his message of love with other people. And maybe you've invited a friend to church and they said no, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm not really that great at this. That's it. I'm done. And I think this can happen in all sorts of areas of our life. We're trying to finish a task. We run into some sort of a barrier, we get discouraged, and we give up on that task. We get overwhelmed, and we're stuck, just like Elijah. But in the midst of Elijah's discouragement, in the midst of where he's stuck, God invites Elijah to go out and stand on the mountain. So in verse 11, it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. All right, let's pause here. In so many ways, this story mirrors the story of Moses. Moses was this great prophet of Israel. He had given them the Ten Commandments, but he had gotten discouraged. Elijah, too, got to experience the presence of God on this mountain. And the text tells us that God spoke to Elijah in a whisper. Now, a lot has been made about this, about the fact that God wasn't found in all of these amazing natural elements, but that God was found in the whisper, and I think there's some good reason for that. If we look at Elijah's response, I think we get a clear, clearer picture of this. God had clearly told Elijah to go out and stand on the mountain. But notice that the text doesn't seem to indicate that Elijah moved at all. It wasn't until God came in the whisper that Elijah finally moved out to the edge or mouth of the cave. He didn't even get out on the mountain. He got to the mouth of the cave. So the context of this story is the battle with Baal. Remember the duel, if you go back and read chapter 18, where Elijah is inviting the prophets of Baal to call down fire onto their altar, and he's going to call down fire onto theirs. And all these prophets of Baal, they're working themselves into this huge frenzy, and Elijah's making fun of them. He's like, maybe if you call out louder, he'll hear you. Maybe he's deaf. And so Elijah's making fun of all these prophets because the God of Baal is the God of storm and thunder. So the God of Baal is this loud, obnoxious God. So in contrast, God could have spoken to Elijah in the loud obnoxiousness. 
But God chooses to speak in the whisper. And I think that's what drew Elijah out. Because Elijah was familiar with all of this loud, obnoxious scene. But when the whisper came, he's like, I got to come out and see what this is. And I think what's interesting about that to me is that God can speak however he chooses. But God chooses to speak in ways that we hear. So Elijah wasn't going to hear God in the thunder and lightning and in the storm and in the fire. Elijah heard God in the whisper. So some of us need the thunder and lightning, right, to hear God. And God can speak in that way. Some of us need the whisper. And that's how we're going to hear God. But God knows how to speak to us. But this isn't just some cosmic pep talk that, uh, that Elijah gets. God's actually reminding Elijah of a number of things. He's actually giving him some time and space to rest. Because remember, Elijah's burnt out. Elijah is discouraged. He wants to die. And God's providing food and water. But God is also reminding him of the truth, of the things that Elijah was struggling with in terms of reality. Remember, he's got this distorted reality. Elijah isn't the only one worshiping God. There are actually 7,000 people who have not bowed down to Baal. Not only that, but there's another person named Elisha that I'm going to partner with you, that you're going to raise up and who's going to continue on your ministry that you started. So yeah, you're struggling to finish, but I'm giving you a partner to come alongside you to help you finish the task. And if you're tired and burned out, from ministry or whatever it is that you're dealing with in life, if you've lost some of your zeal for God's mission, you feel like you're just wandering around, maybe you're on your own 40-day, 40-year, whatever journey, it's okay. God doesn't give up on us, and it's okay to rest from time to time. God gives provisions for that. We need those sometimes. And if you need provisions, if you need help resting, we want to be a church where you can do that. We want to be a church where you can rest and grow and do the things that you need to do to prepare to join in the mission again. But it's not okay to sit on the sidelines forever. God's always inviting us back into the mission of God, calling us back to sharing his love with others. The truth is that God has a mission for each of us. And it's part of the great commission that God has given us, the church. And at Crossview, we talk about this in terms of helping people connect to Jesus and helping people connect Jesus to their world. And if you've been struggling with that in any way, shape, or form for whatever reason, I want you to know it's okay. We're here for you and with you today. But maybe today is your day, your invitation to join back in the mission to jump back in. Maybe you've tried to invite somebody to church and you've struggled and they've said no. Well, guess what? Some distortion reality or truth reality, Barna actually says, four out of five people say that if somebody would actually invite them, they would come to church. 
Maybe uh, you need help learning how to study your Bible and read and pray and learning how to do that. We would love to help you with that. We have lots of great resources. Love to come alongside you. God is always inviting us back into relationship and back into mission with him. God has great things that I think will benefit and make our lives better. And if God is calling you, then God's going to provide the resources in the same way that he provided the resources for Elijah. So we've said this whole time that wisdom is making good choices in this series. Sometimes rest is the right choice. It's the best choice. And God created us for rhythm. God created the six-day creation plus the seventh day to rest. And we are to do that. We need times to do that. But the enemy would also love to keep all of you, all of us, on the sideline for as long as possible. Because then people aren't going to experience God's love. They aren't going to experience God's healing. Because God has invited us to do that. So God's always inviting us back into mission. If you're tired and burned out, maybe you need some rest. And maybe you need an invitation to jump back in. I remember when I was in college, I had a season where I was really struggling. And part of the reason is that at the beginning of the summer, I had a bunch of my stuff stolen from me. I had a bike, a bunch of computer accessories, and who knows all. I think in total, it was somewhere around uh, maybe, uh, let's see here, some quick math, uh, $2,200, $2,300 worth of stuff. For a college student, it was a big deal. Um, I really lost trust in people. And I didn't think that anybody was good anymore. I struggled with a general suspicion of people. I lost track of the mission of God, and I was really depressed. And it wasn't until I went to a missions conference that they call Urbana, um, where they were talking about this idea that the geeks shall inherit the earth. Now, I have an IT background, and that really spoke to me. And it was a call that I heard God saying, like, hey, I want you to come back and join me on the mission. And as I started to step back into the mission, as I started to step back in partnership with my fellow uh, InterVarsity friends, that's when I started to dig out of the depression that I was in. Out of the burned outedness, if you will, that I was in. And so sometimes we need rest, but sometimes the wisest choice is to step back into the mission and to join with others because we're not alone in this. We need to do this with others. Elijah stepped into this with a new partner, Elisha. And it's part of the reason why this church exists, because we want to help people connect to Jesus. People on this side of town maybe aren't willing to travel to the other side of town or whatever. We join together in mission to help people hear about God's love. And I hope and I pray today that you can jump back into the mission if you've been out, or you can invite somebody else and help them back into the mission. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for Elijah's example. Thanks for the ways that he went on um, to change people's lives and to continue that ministry that you had given him and that you gave him Elisha 
to continue. Thank you you've given us each other to join in that mission and help people to experience your love. And we pray that you would help people today to get the rest that they need and then to hear your call to jump back into the mission. Amen.